We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6 and look to uh, uh, verse 6 to 15 in chapter 2. To do it, I want to set it up by telling you a little bit about um, one of the ways in which I drive my wife crazy. And that is that when we'll, uh, oftentimes we'll watch a movie together, we'll be watching a show and be in the living room. She's usually on the couch and I'm in the, the, uh, my chair there and we, you know, we're engaged in the movie and something will come up in the movie or a question will come up. we we'll say, well, who's that actor? Who's that actress? Or, you know, uh, reminds me of something. So typically what I do, and I, I can't help it, I've got my phone, I pull up, uh, you know, the International Movie Database, IMDb, uh, I look for the actor um, before I know it, I find, oh, they've been in these several other things. I'm like, oh, well, what was that movie about? And so for the next, you know, six or eight minutes, I'm in this hole following this entire actor's career and all the people they've been married to and who their children are and, you know, what they other movie they've been in and who directed that and, oh, yeah, who, who did all those. And so then I look up and realize I've missed a bit of the movie. So then I say... Who's that? (laughs) What's happening? And fortunately, we've been married 26 years, and this comes to as no surprise to my wife, um, albeit it can certainly be a frustration. My distraction in the midst of something we're doing together. I miss what's going on. I've got to be caught up. Paul's talking about that kind of distraction this morning. We can get distracted as believers. The the church can get distracted. And so, Paul has this big idea this morning. So, you know, so what's the passage about? What's what's Paul talking about this morning? And, And I can tell you it's one word. He's talking about Jesus. That is all and everything he is talking about. In fact, that's all and everything he has been talking about in this entire letter up to this point. And what he wants us to know is that we are absolutely, totally, completely completed in Christ. There is nothing else you need. There is nowhere else to go. Everything, everything, everything about you is summed up in the person Jesus. And so he's going to make this point. Up to this point in in the, uh, the letter to the Colossians, he's been talking about the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme over everything. Over all creation, over all powers, over all rulers, over all authorities. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus because the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He is God. Now, he is supreme over everything. Paul's point this morning is he is sufficient for everything. Everything you need, everything you could possibly need, past, present, future, 
is to be found in Jesus. I want to read this passage. I'm going to start in verse 6. I want to read through to verse 15 so you get the the whole feel of what he's talking about. He's going to talk about when we're complete in Christ, and then he's going to talk about how we're complete in Christ. What, what, what has happened so that we can be complete in Christ? So look at, look at what he says. I'm going to start in verse 6 of chapter 2, and I'm going to read to verse 15. He says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, help us to hear these words this morning. Help us to set aside this morning all the distractions of this moment. And Father, I know as you've been reminding me all week, all the distractions of my life to keep me from being focused on your son, Jesus. So help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he's talking about that we're complete in Christ. If you go back up to verse 6 and 7, you realize that, that um, the, verse 6 begins with therefore. And it's the word that sort of points to, okay, since all I've said all of these things, and it goes back to Colossians 1, 1 to 2, 4. And you realize really all that he's been saying up to this point has been kind of a long introduction Hey, hey, Colossians, I, I, you know, I, you, you don't know me, I don't know you. I know Epaphras, your, your, uh, your pastor, and I know Philemon, the home that you're meeting in. I know this guy, Onesimus, that I met that used to be a slave amongst you, but I don't know very many of you. You don't know me. We haven't seen each other face to face. But I'm praying for you. I've labored over you. I want you to know my ministry of preaching the gospel. This same gospel you received and you believed. This is going all around the world. And all of these things I desire for you, this maturity in Christ, all of this. It's been an introduction. 
And he's talked about the supremacy of Jesus. And now he says, therefore. Now he's getting to it. He's going to address the the dangers that they're in. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received. Well, the question becomes, well, how, how did you receive him? How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? And the answer is you received him by grace through faith. So, how are we to walk in him? Now, let's talk about the word received. What does it mean to receive something? And it implies the very opposite of merit. It implies the very opposite of, of work. It, um, you know, to, to merit something is to purchase something. Uh, merit uh, might be uh, called, you know, um, making something by your labor or winning something by your bravery or your courage. But receiving, receiving is just the accepting of a thing as a gift. The, the eternal life which God gives his people is in no sense whatsoever the fruit of any of your exertion, any of your labor, any of your energy, any of your strength. It is the gift of God. That's what it means to receive it. You've received it as a gift. That which comes to me is my salvation. Not that which springs out of my own heart, but that which has been given to me. The, the divine redeemer has come and changed me and given me a new heart. It's not because of the output of my energy. It's not because of my prayers and my tears and my penance and all the amends that I've made and the vows that I've made and the reformed behavior and the cleaned up language and the purified thoughts and the nice to my wife and don't yell at my kids. It is all of what I have received. And so it's a gift to be received and it also is, it implies this sense of, the, listen, it's something to be received that's real. I want, want to try to bring that home for you for a second. I mean, it's absolutely, totally real. Jesus is not a dream, you know, that seems so vivid for the first 30 seconds after you wake up, but then you can't fully remember it or grab hold of it or this is how it went. You know, you, 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 you know you're trying to remember that dream that you just had and it, and it seems to be gone. You, you, you can't grab Jesus isn't a dream like that. He's not a shadow. You know, it's not merely just the, the outline, you know, an, um, an, you know, an imprecise, uh, you know, outline of something that's casting a shadow. No, no, there's detail, there's intimacy. You can look to Jesus. He's not a shadow. He is something very real. And faith, believing, give, gives us the substance. So you see, Christian faith. I mean, this deal that we're here this morning doing, Right? This Jesus that we believe and, 
and, and say we believe and, and proclaim and, and, and want, to, want to know better and, and want to walk with. This is not just history. You haven't come here this morning to just have a history lesson. This is not history class. It is now. It is not a collection of good ideas. This is a person to know really now in your life. To, to receive is to grab hold of. Another word the Bible uses is reckon. You, you would reckon this, or to calculate, to, to reason, to ponder. You think about it, you consider it, you remind yourself of what is true and what's real. It's, it's this accounting term, a bank account term. He says that in, in Romans 3.28, for we hold, reckon, we hold or we receive that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We, we remember this. We're justified by faith. In Romans 6, he says, you, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Even if you feel like you're alive to sin and dead to God, you must remember as a believer you're dead to sin and alive to God. One old preacher, he said it this way. He said, now, this is what the soul doth when it believes on Christ. Christ becomes my Christ. His blood cleanses my sin, and it is cleansed. His righteousness covers me, and I'm clothed with it. His spirit fills me, and I'm made to live by it. He becomes to me as much mine as anything I can call my own. Nay, nay, what I call my own here on earth is not mine. It's only lent to me and will be taken from me. But Christ is so mine that neither not life nor death nor things present nor things to come shall ever be able to rob me of him. As you have received him, then he says, Walk in him. You can make note if you wanted to. You make notes in your Bible. You can say that this is the first imperative in the entire letter. It has taken a full chapter and now a third of the, of the second chapter to get to a command. Here's what you are to do. Based upon all these things that Jesus is. All that he's done. Now. Here's my command to you. Here's my imperative. Walk in him. It's important to know what he means by this. It, it is this act of, you know, you got to live out what's true about you. Live it out, what's true about you, what, what you've received. It's not a certificate to be hung on the wall. You know, it's not the award that you receive at the end of the school year. I remember uh, this is uh, one, uh, my uh, son, my middle child, Jay, who in 
unfortunate moments has more of me than his mother in him. And one of the times that I thought, you know what, I think, I think that was Jay's last day on earth. I really think she's going to take care of him, exterminate him after today. It was in the eighth grade. He was graduating from the eighth grade, which he felt was really kind of ridiculous all in and of itself. His point was, you've graduated. It means nothing. You can't get a job from this graduation. And so they have an award ceremony, and they, and they, you, know, they, they, you know, they call your name up, and then, you know, you, you are handed the award, and you're supposed to take the picture. And it's all meaningful, right? I mean, you, in the moment, it means something. Well, he's handed this thing, this certificate, and some other thing that he got, and, um, you know, they call out all your middle school accomplishments. Anyways, um, the way that he felt about it was shown in the next 30 seconds because he shakes the principal's hand, he receives the stuff, he walks off of the stage, and on his way back to his seat, which is what you're supposed to do, you come up out of your seat, you go off the stage, you come out, he walks by the trash can and drops them in the trash can and goes to his seat. And it wasn't hidden. It was in plain view of every single person sitting in there that morning. And I thought, oh, she's going to kill him right here in front of everybody. And she might have gotten away with it, you know, based upon what he did. Listen, Christianity, your faith, it's not like that. It's not a certificate, some awards you, you know, it's not the culmination of anything in your life. It's not an arrival. It's a departure. Walk in him. Live out the reality now of who you are. And it's this continual process. That's why he uses these words, rooted and built up and established. Rooted has, the, has you know, this sense, this origin, this source, this, this cause. Something caused it to happen to you. You're rooted in it. Now, built up, here's, here's where we often fail. We don't build upon the root or the, or the foundation. We stop learning somewhere, you know, along the road. If you have a certificate hang on the wall mentality about your faith, you, you don't know the built up part. And then there's established. It means to confirm with evidence, to make secure. That, that maturity has, you know, taken hold in your life. And he says all of this, you know, rooted and built up in him and established in the, in the faith. And when he talks about the faith, he's talking about, well, in the gospel. And it's the gospel that you believed. And faith, listen, faith is not trying to believe something regardless of the evidence. Faith is, is daring something regarding, regardless of the consequences, so one writer said. Not believing something regardless of the evidence. Believing something, daring something, putting the weight of your life in something regardless of the consequences. 
You, you might think about it this way. The, the anatomy, if you will, of faith. This is our spiritual anatomy. A body and a soul and a spirit. And for all you nerds out there, yes, I'm, I have a tripartite view of the humanity. I'm not a bipartite. Body, soul, spirit. The soul is our mind, our emotions, our will. The spirit's our true inner being. You know, where we have the fullness of Christ. So, so we receive life. We receive life in the spirit. We experience life in the soul. We express life in the body, in our walk. We receive it in the spirit. We experience it in our soul, our, our, our mind, our emotions, our will. Then we express that with our hands and our feet and our words and our actions. And unfortunately, and Paul will talk about this later in class, we also have flesh. We, we, we have the, the, the old man, the, the old flesh that desires to do things in our own strength, in our own will, in our own skill. And so it's this decision, this, this will to act on what the mind believes is true. And the mind needs something. And so you go to God's Word, and He says in Romans 12, you know, that we'd have our minds renewed. And so, so we read something in Scripture, and in our, you know, the, the Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. We go, yes, that's true. And we acknowledge it is true. And then we choose to step out in that. The first time we do that, that's this, this faith how did you receive it? You received him by faith. How do you live? You live by faith. The object of our faith is Jesus. It's the constantly reminding ourselves every day, yes, I believe that's true. I know that's true. I'm going to live that truth. Well, he says, you got to do this. This is imperative. He's commanding us to do it. Christianity's not a certificate on the wall. It's a life to be lived. So that, in verse 8, see to it, nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Take you captive don't be kidnapped through deceit. This philosophy, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's the account in Acts 17 when Paul's on Mars Hill. But, but it, it means literally, you know, uh, phil, uh, phileo, uh, love, and, and Sophia, wisdom, philosophy, the love of of wisdom. And in this context, it's, it's the world's kind of wisdom. And every age has its lovers of wisdom, its philosophers and philosophies. 
And they, and they get into the church's theology. I mean, every age has them. Our age, I mean, we have prosperity, the, the, the name it and claim it isms. There's nationalism. It seems to has bore itself into our theology. There's relativism. You know the one, the, the, um, the, the my truthism. Philosophy, any system of thinking that reduces the role of Christ in our lives and in the church, anything that reduces the supremacy of Christ in your life. This is what Paul's warning against. Don't get carried away. Don't get kidnapped by that or, or empty deceit, that which gives a false impression, either by appearance or statement or influence. You know, it looks good. But, but it's not the whole truth. It's, it's empty. There's, there's nothing to it, really. And he talks about human tradition, which means that which is given or delivered alongside of something or, or given over something. To, to, to hand it down from one person to the other. This is what he's talking about. It's a neutral term. It's not always bad, but it is oftentimes, as you encounter it in the Bible, it's, it's not good. In the Old Testament, you know, is it, maybe it's Paul's writing here, he's referring to the Old Testament, the rabbinic laws that were given alongside God's Word, and in many cases over God's Word. What the rabbis said was more important than what Moses said. For us, now 2,000 years later, we've developed our own human traditions, our church laws, if you will. And you don't always know what they are until you step on them. You don't always know what they are until you have a barbecue and realize, oh, I just smoked the, fat, the, 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 the sacred cow here. It doesn't matter what barbecue sauce we put on this deal, everybody's mad. You know, we've got church laws. Those things that can't change because we've always done it that way. Well, then he talks about the elemental spirits of the world. This word is this interesting word. It's not used very often in the New Testament, and it's hard to translate because we don't have a lot of extra biblical uh, pictures of it, but it, it speaks of the this elemental spirits of the world. The, the stoichia is what it is. It talks about things that are lined up. They're in a row. They're maybe done step by step. They're of the world, they're not what you would find in the Word of God, but they're found in the world. It's, it's what's used to talk about the religious worldviews of the day, how people thought about life and, and the gods 
that were behind all the aspects of creation, you know, water, sun, moon, stars, land, all that stuff. But here's the deal. You never really knew where you stood with all those gods, little g. You, you would do your best to appease them. You, you tried your best not to upset them. You worked harder. You, you honored them. You hoped they found your sacrifice and hard work acceptable. You know, and you wanted them to bless you. And Paul's saying, listen, if you do your life like this, if you've taken those elemental principles of the world and somehow you've applied them to God and you said, okay, here's how I am in relationship with God. I do step one and two and three and four and five and six. And as long as I don't ever miss six, I could miss four some sometimes, and seven sometimes, as long as I did eight and nine and ten before I went to bed. Or we get things rigid in our mind. Well, this is how you grow in Christ. You have to have at least 200 cups of Starbucks coffee with some other person that's further along with you in the faith. And until you've had those 200 cups of coffee, you can't then move on to the next step. And that is the, the men's retreat. And played shirts and skins volleyball at 11 o'clock at night and bonded. Or whatever. I mean, this is how you grow in Christ. Well, is it? As you received him, so walk in him. By grace through faith. Listen, we can't grow. I tell you, we can't grow without God's word. We can't grow without God's people. We can't grow without God's spirit. But as soon as we start mapping out from a human perspective, this is the course we take. These are the steps that must be followed in the order there to be followed. Or God's not going to be happy. It's not going to grow us. We've got to be careful of that, Paul says. And all of those things are a contrast to Christ. Don't be kidnapped by the deceit of all of those things. And they are insidious. And they worm them, their, their way into your life and into the church. And they're in contrast to the sufficiency, the supremacy of Christ. Paul tells the, the Galatians who were struggling with a very similar thing. The topic was different, but the, but the application was the same. And he says, you're so foolish. Who has bewitched you? The Phillips translation says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. What happened to you? John Chrysostom says it's like turning from the light of the sun back to the light of a candle. Well, the reason it is is because in, in verse 9 and 10, listen, why would you go to any things, any of those things? Why would you... Why would you let yourself be kidnapped by the deceit of those things? Because in 9 he says, for in him, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. This is a staggering statement of Paul's part. You have been filled, pleroma, filled to the top, completely filled, completion. He's all we need. No human being can complete you. No, if you're married in here, wives, if you're looking for your husbands to complete you, that's just the movie line. Guys, your wives can't complete you. No human being on it. Listen, your kids cannot complete you. They can aggravate you, irritate you, humble you. They can do lots of things, but they cannot complete you. Full. This word carries the idea you can't have anymore. You're full. You've been given the fullness. You're overflowing. Fullness of Christ now. You don't need any more Jesus. You, you have all of him. He doesn't come in parts. He comes in full. It's why Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All of his attributes in all of your life. All of his attributes in all of your life. It has the idea of being fully consumed. Paul is saying, imagine, it's a, you've got a giant pitcher filled with water, and then you imagine there's a shot glass that your tiny shot glass would be able to hold all the water from the pitcher. That's what God does in you. Paul's desire is for this inner work of God to be drawn to the surface of the believer's life. That's what it means to walk as you've received him. In all his fullness, walk in him. May, the, may what God is doing and has done and will do come to the surface of your life so that your life would align more with that which is unseen rather than that which is seen. That the power of God would be drawn from the depths of our being to the surface of our everyday life. More and more then would we experience who we truly are in Christ. That's what he's getting at. Why would you settle for anything less, Paul says. And so he tells us how we're completing him. In verse 11, he says, you, you've been circumcised with him. And I'm not talking, Paul says, about physical circumcision that happened when you were eight days old. What I'm talking about is the spiritual circumcision and the, and the flesh of sin in your life has been cut away by Christ. You, you're now in Christ. You're a new believer that sin no longer reigns over you. That's been cut away. And then he goes on to talk about, okay, what does this look like? Well, you've been buried with him. Verse 12, you've been raised with him. You've put off the old life. That occurs the moment of salvation, and it occurs every morning when you wake up. 
Paul talks about it in Romans 6. You've been buried with him in baptism and raised to, to new life with him. A co-burial, a co-resurrection. Verses 13 and 14, he says, listen, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive. He made you alive together with him. How did he do that? We did this incredible thing. He forgave all our trespasses, canceled the record of debt that stood against all of, it, of, of us with its legal demands. And he set it aside. How he did it was he nailed it to the cross. You were dead spiritually. Oh, you were walking around in human life, but you were separated from God. He says it in Ephesians, you were, you were without hope and without God. You were cut off from spiritual life. But you've been now made alive with Christ. And this new life came with God forgiving all your sins, all of them, all of them. All the ones you remembered and can't remember. All the ones you're sitting with here this morning, wrestling with. All the ones you don't even know about yet. Canceled that. But, but he, he didn't merely just take your bill, you know, take what you owe, the, 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 uh, the handwritten indebtedness, and put it in the shredder. No. He took that and applied it to Jesus' account. Said, oh, this, this has to be paid for sure. And my son's going to pay this debt. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21, he that knew no sin was perfect, the son of God. He became sin. All your sin. He became, so that we might become the righteousness. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Put them to open shame. How does he do that? How does he arm? So, so we're talking spiritually here. These are things we can't see. Demons and principalities and spirits and creation itself. All the rulers, authorities, he puts them to open shame. How? By triumphing over them. In Christ. It's the exposing and defeating of the hostile spiritual powers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. It goes on to say, not only that, we're the aroma of Christ. We're the beautiful fragrance of Christ. So what's the big idea? Jesus. It's everything. He's supreme in your life. He's sufficient for everything in your life. And we must remind ourselves and preach to ourselves and gather together and open God's Word and remember and remember who we are in Him. 
Charles Spurgeon, 19th century, people traveled from all over Europe and, and really all over the world to hear him preach. And he had definite ideas about this. He said the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Gotta love Spurgeon. Leave Christ out, oh brethren. Better leave the pulpit out altogether. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last, and certainly the last that any Christian ought to go here and preach. A sermon without Christ at its beginning, middle, and end is a mistaken conception and a crime in execution. Gosh, listen to this. A sermon without Christ is a brook without water, a cloud without rain, a well that mocks the traveler. The parched and thirsty traveler whose spirit rises, whose hope is renewed in seeing the well and runs over there and finds it empty. It is a well that mocks the traveler, a tree twice dead plucked up at the root, a sky without the sun, a night without a star. If it were a realm of death, a place of mourning for angels, angels and laughter for devils. It's not anything else, Spurgeon says. It should be top of our minds. The object of our affection in Christ. Well, two minutes here. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you walk in him just as you received him? How do you do this? How, how do you keep someone in front of you in your daily life, in your thoughts, in your mind, in your actions, your, your feet and your hands and your eyes and your ears that, that you can't see or touch? Well, one, do you, you learn to preach to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. You remind yourself, wake up, Jesus completes me. Jesus justifies me before God and others. I don't have to do that today. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's how the math goes. You add anything to Jesus, and then you begin to diminish him in your life. He's everything. Remember in school, you've had those drills in school, and it would be something like, hey, if you ever find yourself on fire, stop, drop, and roll, right? It's kind of terrifying, actually. Think, how many, how often do you catch on fire, you know? Um, well, not often, but if you ever do, you promise you, you'll remember it. 
Stop. You drop. You roll. Stop. Think about it this way. How do you walk? Stop. Stop whatever you're doing when you can. Take a walk when you can. Set everything aside when you can for a moment and just stop. Maybe that's it. 10 o'clock every morning when an alarm goes off on your phone, and you go, okay, I'm stopping right here to remember. Or at 5 o'clock as you get in the car to drive home and to be with your family, or at 3 o'clock when you go to sit in the drive through line to pick up your kids, or whenever, you stop and you remember who you are. In Christ, you drop Drop, drop what you're trusting in besides Jesus in that moment. Drop what you're trusting in to give you significance. Drop that thing that has occasioned this unrest that you feel. Maybe it's a lie you've swallowed. Drop it. Maybe it's some lie that says, listen, I can deliver you to success. You won't be forgiven if you fail. You know it won't bring you the joy you're hoping, but, you, but you'll pursue it anyway. Why don't you drop that? You can only cling to Jesus. You can only receive. You can only grab hold. This isn't about you getting more of Jesus. It's about you experiencing all that you have, but you cannot have that. You cannot hang on to that if your hands are filled with so many other things. Here's here's an idea. Here's what you can do in the morning. Get up in the morning, first thing. 15, 20 minutes early, pull a journal out. List everything that's on your mind, everything you're worried about, all your cares, all the things that you can't seem to shake on a Monday morning. And then you say, okay, Jesus, here's a list. I'm giving you these things today. Now, I want to set my mind on you. That's where Paul's going, Colossians 3, 1. We'll look at it in a couple of weeks. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Jesus, here's the list of things that I'm having such a hard time getting out of my mind to worry me or I'm pursuing or I can't seem to shake or I... So here it is. This is the list. I'm giving this to you. Now help me to know how to set my mind on you today, on the things that are above. Stop, drop, roll all the weight over onto the gospel. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Lord, teach me what that means today. This is prayer. So, what do I do in a quiet time? I'm telling you. It's not a list. I mean, I said make a list. Shame on me, but you know what I mean. 
You can be so real. You, this is not a, it's not a part to play. It's not a script to memorize. You go to the one who cares about you more than anyone else has ever or will ever care about you. And you say, help me. And you'll be amazed. You'll, you'll be amazed at how near you find him. There's more Colossians, more weeks to come. If the Lord tarries, we'll be here next week. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, help us this morning. We want to be drawn to your son, Jesus. There may be somebody here this morning That when they walked in here, all this was foreign to them. And yet by your spirit and through your word this morning, Father, something's come alive or something makes sense or they're seeing their life. Maybe somebody is here this morning and they're seeing their life in a new way. One in which you're now in the picture and shining light on it. So, Father, I pray this morning your spirit would wrestle down their heart. Give them faith and would say, yes, okay, I believe. I, I believe or, or I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Or, Father, that wherever they are this morning, would you draw them to your son Christ? The one supreme over everything sufficient for all things. Father, draw them near. Draw all of us near this morning. Father, keep us from the deception of the myriad of things competing for our life, seeking to kidnap us with their deceit. Father, we want to see your Son in all his beauty experience Him in all fullness. We ask this the only way we can, in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.